That's the soundtrack of my neighborhood in East Vancouver at 7 p.m. An outpouring of gratitude to all the frontline workers. I'm riding waves of feelings, sorrow and enthusiasm, curiosity and deep concern and gratitude and excitement. And from that wave, from the top of that crest, I can see a beautiful future. I see a new way of being for all of us. It's a beautiful ideal. So in anticipation of that new life, the one I have wanted for so long for all of us, I am preparing to die. Could be 50 years from now, could be tomorrow, but I'm preparing to die. So I imagine my elder self, Danielle, as a 90-year-old crone. She is radiant and calm. Her laughter is that full laughter. It holds pain and it holds truth and it holds euphoria. It holds everyone who hears it. She has been pummeled and plied into trusting the divine. Now she trusts the divine. She's put so much distance between herself and her original afflictions and ambitions that all that remains is grace and acceptance of what is. There's no resignation to that. She's in total alignment with higher love. Her heart is still on fire. She's still a lover. Her feet kiss the ground. She's closer to nature than ever. She is both embracing and visionary. And the best part, she is incredibly forgiving. She is grace. And I have been looking forward to becoming her. So in the light, in the light of these times, I have decided, why wait? There's no more waiting. This is the reset that I have craved, but delayed. This is the shedding that I have feared, but desired. This is what I knew was coming, but I could not have known. I can no longer assume that grace will happen over time, far in the future of my wizened, seen-it-all self. I am seeing all I need to see right now in this saga of global upheaval. It's not a movie anymore. And I have a propensity for post-apocalyptic movies. We are now writing the script for our entire species. I mean, we always have been. We need to conjure grace without haste and give her the leading role in this unfolding. But here's the thing. As I have alluded to, grace is a death eater. There is nothing ephemeral about attaining grace. It is not bestowed on you. There is no 21-day program to it. You are initiated into grace. Grace is the reward of a rite of passage whereby you stand firmly on top of agony while outstretching your arms to higher love. Grace holds the tension between sorrow and joy. That's why she's grace. Grace holds tension, gracefully. And she will inform you of what needs to die so that a greater life can be lived. 
That's the mother. That's Grace. And she speaks in awesome beauty and intuition and synchronicities and mystical visions. And if that awe does not crack you open, then she will get her point across with chronic cravings and addiction and illness and inflammation. And if she's still not being heard, she will shout it out with dangers of all kinds that some things need to die so that life can be fully lived. It's time to die to the ego. Die to how right or how wrong you thought you were or how right or wrong you thought they were. Die to vanity and willfulness and possessiveness and die to loneliness. So we're not alone. Die to the illusions that you, me, we are unworthy, that we're separate from something higher from each other, that there's a power outside of us. You gotta die to that. Die to the insecurities and every kind of divisive paradigm. Just let it go. And die to over-control and die to the status quo and die to superiority and inferiority and even die to your fear of death so that life can be loved more now. We're on a massive deathbed with a magnificent chance for a new life. And what do most humans do when they're on their deathbed? They get their priorities straight. They relish what matters most. I have a friend who's a doctor, Dr. Kathy Yao, and she's been talking about how her former cancer patients who were about to cross over, um, that they dedicated their last months and weeks and days to enjoying their time with their family, going to church every day, and just being outside, gardening. Kathy was working in the jungle this past year with indigenous healers and all kinds of ill people had traveled many miles, spent a lot of money to come and be healed by the indigenous healers. And Kathy's observation was that what most of these people wanted, what what they talked about all the time, was doing nothing else but being with their family, living a simpler life, and serving others. And her observation was that they went back to almost an innocent, childlike way of being. Be with people you love. Live a simpler life. Serve others. That's a medical prescription today. I've had the honor of being with some people who are dying. And what I noticed is that they say, I love you and thank you a lot to everyone. The veil is getting so thin that they are glimpsing, sensing, and bringing in unconditional love. Uh, You know, they have this buddhic kind of glow to them. And we all know those people or have heard of those people who, you know, on their deathbed, they just lay down the battle axe, all the family stuff is, it's all okay. And they inspire you to do the same. Like, I'm living now. What baggage do I need to let go of? They forgive. They say they're sorry. They get their affairs in order. And they consider the next generation. And they just want to be outside with the sun on their face. People who are on a deathbed put their faith in something greater than themselves. 
even the atheists, and I love me a good atheist, even the atheists, when they're dying, tend to give over control to the mystery. doesn't mean they surrender to a singular God, but they are at least opening up to a unified field of consciousness. And one of my best friends almost died last year. In fact, I mean, technically, she did die. She had a cardiac incident uh, while they were doing a basic medical procedure. So she did die. And she saw the proverbial light. She refers to it as the pearly gates. And she came back with a lot of incredible information. I just sat at her feet. Even as she just told the story of her near-death experience, I felt like I was being blessed. And she said that there was a quality of love that she couldn't even put into words, that it was beyond English language. And the main message that she got from that great ineffable source of indescribable love was, there's nothing to prove, slow down. That's it. She died, and the infinite said, slow down. When any system is failing, the body, a social system, the heart center becomes home base, becomes a refuge. It becomes really obvious where home is. It always was obvious. So now that we're retreating and working on behalf of collective wellness, looking after ourselves so that we can also look after each other, could there be a more opportune moment in human history to give up resentments in exchange for compassion for ourselves, our own selves, our small, expansive lives, and for each other. Is there a better time? I'm asking. Is there, has there ever been a better time in the history of humanity to just forgive and redeem than now? Because we are in a quickening of consciousness. All systems are at play, and everything is moving more quickly towards an edge. The heart, the mind, body. Me, you, us. Health is on the line and economics and food production and every kind of supply chain. It's all up. And these conditions that we're in are setting us up for rapid transformation. And that is good news, possibly. So you think of all the times that you have been in pain and suffering and you have wanted to be out of that pain and suffering so quickly. We crave rapid transformation, whether you want to lose the weight or heal from a breakup or whatever it is that you want to get in order, you want it quickly. Well, quickly is here. So this is the perfect time. Hi, idealists. I love you. I relate to you. This is the perfect time to leap into idealism. The idealism you have been wearing on your sleeve for so many years and people laugh at you, so you're so idealistic. The idealism that is latent in your DNA, but it's been calcified by cynicism and just life and fatigue. Yeah? Now's the time to run, even if we're sheltering in place, to run from shallow living. This is a call for depth. It's time to confront fear. All of it the extremes of fear. It is the best time ever to be wildly generous and authentic. This is it. And lean in. This is when we get to do the shadow work that we've been putting off. And doing that shadow work is our only assurance 
our only assurance, I think, that something brighter will definitely come of this. So the stillness that we have delayed, here it is. The presence that we have been distracting ourselves from for so long. Hi, hi. Inertia, yep. Anxiety beneath the surface for so many of us. It's up. The suffering that used to be in someone else's backyard, here it is, right here, right now. And that fear of uncertainty that most of us coexist with all day long, hello. The resentments that we've been carrying around so long, baggage, still right here. And that very deep, often undetected, usually inexplicable fear of annihilation, it's on. Most of what most of us have feared our entire lives, I'm just going to say that again, just to be dramatic, just allow me to be theatrical here for this intro. Most of what most of us have feared our entire lives, here it is, the loss of life, Loss of identity, loss of means, loss of mobility. It's all here for all of us. This is a pinnacle. And it's all queuing up in order to be healed. What we're living in is an epic excavation of the subconscious. It's an epoch of love if we choose it. Why? Because what you need in order to go into the subconscious and see what has been driving you and heal that pain is love. It's love that helps you dive in. It's love that helps you see. It's love that helps you apply healing to the wounds that haven't been tended to yet. It's love that brings it all up to the surface. It's love that celebrates that humanness. That's our choice now. Please, may we choose it. Let's choose it. We are choosing. It's chosen. We're being called in this epoch of love to befriend all aspects of our psyche and our fellow humans, us and them, inside, outside. It's all the stuff that we typically avoid and shy away from. And we are primed like never, ever before to become acquainted with our whole selves and with each other. This is the divinity, the opportunity of the pressure cooker that we are in. This is where we get to confront and hold, and heal, and honor the darkness and the light, loneliness and community. This is global group therapy. I'm hearing so many important and really galvanizing conversations that are being had right now in the culture. There's brilliant discourse happening about the damages of nationalism, on social welfare, about waking up to a unified field of consciousness. I love it all. I'm starting to hear murmurs about more localized governance. I'm a big fan of that. And I'm here to take the conversation even deeper into the human heart, into the science of the soul, and to talk about self-compassion and how lack of loving kindness is at the center of this storm. What we're in need of is a revolution of compassion and inclusiveness. It's been the lack of loving kindness that got us into this mess. What we need to embrace is our personal and collective light and darkness, and that is grace. That's the creative tension that will have the impact that our souls are so deserving of. 
we are attuning through disruption. It's always a good time for a little Ecclesiastes. Only had to say that once. Chapter 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. We've built so many societies and strategies and industries and economies and to-do lists that turn into lifetimes, all based on outer attainment. Approval and status and getting things and owning things and so-called power. So many different definitions of power that all go back to that corrupted self-worth. That outer attainment about looks and individualism and competition. There's so much discussion right now about concern, legitimate concern around interrupted supply chains. We are functioning on a supply chain of ego. So hyper-materialism is driven by illusions of our lack of worth. We think we need to get stuff outside of ourselves. And so that makes us so much more likely to give away control and to spend our money and to give our attention to outer authority. And that authority can be big pharma, big box stores, big media, big self-help gurus, big celebrities, and all that external bigified bigness stuff. It has us wither in terms of our independence, independent health, and independent creativity, and our independence, and our esteem. So we need closer connection to our inner bigness, our personal bigness, our fortitude, and to our neighbors. We root in to attending to ourselves lovingly, and then we just push it out, take care of ourselves, the people around us, and we create localized interdependent circles. I think if we had uh, more localized governance, if we took care of ourselves in clusters, if we drew on our own power, we would be so much more agile and stronger in our response to big threats, to rapid change, to all this health stuff. If you look after smaller organisms, smaller groups of people, you know who's there. And that means resources become more accessible and more evenly distributed. You take care of each other. And with that care and flow, with that sovereignty and that liberty, the divine irony is you actually become, you, you've got more confidence. And so you become more open to and even more curious about external wisdom about how other people in other clusters, in other cultures of governance are doing things. You would be more open to taking on opinions and potential wisdom about maybe, say, scientists in China, or a homeopath in Vancouver, or your elders and ancestors, right? We know this. United, we stand. United, we stand. And divided, we're susceptible to a pandemic. And we also become very vulnerable to the commodification of everything, everything that we need to live. A thing with self-love and true esteem, for lack of a better term, is that it makes you very hard to sell to. You need less. You don't fall for anything. You are looking within. You are rooted into the divine. So we've got to connect the dots between the lack of that, the lack of self-respect for ourselves, which turns into a lack of respect 
for each other, which leads to very greedy commerce, which then gets into exclusionary social systems, marginalizations, and all of that contributes to a health pandemic. So it's the life cycle of lack of self-compassion to the mess that we're in right now. Okay, so I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent. (laughs) I have been known to. Just follow me on this. So let's look at a luxury item. I'm going to use a purse. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Uh, That luxury item, and luxury is a relative term. So depending on, you know, where you're at and what you can afford and, you know, what you're salivating over, if you are indeed doing that. It could be sneakers, all you sneakerheads. I'm looking at you. Could be a watch. For my purposes, I'm going to talk about a luxury handbag. All right. So I'm going to walk through the cycle, the life cycle of a luxury bag. I'm using this. This is my point. This is an analogy about our misuse, our vulgar misuse of energy and our totally messed up priorities and our self esteem issues and how that weakens our social systems. Social systems include all kinds of governance and welfare and wellness. And that makes way for a pandemic and panic and suffering and all kinds of despair. All of which could just be cleaned up with some therapy and meditation and unconditional love. But we'll get to that later. Okay, so a purse. And I have been this person, by the way, who wanted this purse. I got over myself. I snapped out of it, but here we go. Uh, So it's a luxury purse. It's made out of a dead animal, and that animal was most likely, most definitely, come on, raised and killed in horrible conditions. So animal welfare, gone, smithereens. And then once that animal's been killed, their skin is made into leather in a highly toxic process. So in that process, those chemicals get pumped into the water system that we drink, doesn't matter how much we try and purify it, that fish swim in, that plants grow in, et cetera. Okay. Then when that luxury handbag is actually getting manufactured, it's stitched and glued together with toxic glue by people who are very likely, very likely, not always, living below the poverty line in a country where this product will probably maybe not even be sold. And the finished product, so if it gets shipped, over oceans and many different formats in packaging. It's usually overpackaged, and that packaging has to be produced. So it gets shipped to an advertising agency, and then it's going to be modeled. It's going to be held by or fondled and caressed by a woman whose image is airbrushed and graphically manipulated to a point where she is impossibly contorted into impossible body standards that we are all aspiring to, thanks so much, advertised and sold by a company whose primary metric, whose primary reason for existing is constant growth for its high net worth stockholders. So the people who are selling you that handbag, doesn't matter how long they've been around and the heritage of that brand, they are probably existing to make the rich richer. Hmm? And then, then we come along. Yeah. And I get it because I wanted that bag. We purchased that bag with money that we made in jobs that we probably are overworking in and maybe only even moderately love. And that job that we're overworking in is taking time away from our quality relationships and just being 
We're running a yoga class if we get to yoga class. We're running to run. It's taking time away from being in nature, from cooking our own food, from sleeping a good seven to eight hours. Yeah. All so that we will be noticed with that luxury item by someone who probably doesn't even know us on a deep level yet in order to prove to that person, those people who don't even really know us, that we're a winner. And we are therefore worthy of their love and respect. Or at the very least, their envy. (laughs) Yeah? Okay, so anybody relating? Anybody who's got the purse, who's got the, what's in your, what's in your purse? And what does capitalism and self-esteem have to do with the health pandemic? Everything. Because that is a supply chain that is driven by ego. And those gaps of consciousness in that supply chain let greed slip in. And then wellness becomes corporatized. And humans become users and customers. And millions of people get marginalized and exploited. It's been going on for centuries. We're in a really bad habit of chronically denying ourselves of compassion and creative agency. And that just extends into denying others of compassion and robbing them of their creative agency. We're constantly running a race for higher status, whether it's the purse, the job, the house, a person that you want to fill you up, a job title, or it's basic survival. This is all scalable. We are just too exhausted to hear our body's wisdom and our soul's cues. And we get worn out. And our immune systems get weakened by the stress of trying to keep up and prove ourselves. And then we are mostly at the mercy of systems who cannot hold us when so much of our suffering begins to surge. And how could those systems hold us? They are not designed to hold us or heal us or rehabilitate us in the first place. And we set these systems up ourselves to profit from biological unwellness and emotional insecurities. We make up these systems and we participate them. We have to be fully responsible here. We're all looking for ways to profit. We're all looking for ways to fill that perceived hole in our soul. We're all looking for ways to heal an emotional wounding from who knows where, from not getting what we needed as children in this lifetime or the one before or another dimension. But we're all just trying to patch up our wounds. And we make seriously shitty decisions. And, 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 beautiful end. We are making gorgeous, fumbling, often very successful attempts at self-soothing. And so many of us are serving each other along the way helping each other to heal as we heal ourselves, as we find more life-giving ways, as we reference our hearts. And here we are in this beautiful mess. I think this is the greatest opportunity for healing that has ever been experienced in the solar system, at least on Earth. (laughs) But we have to wake up. We're in a vicious cycle of neglect and disconnection from our heart's wisdom and from each other and from Mother Nature. This is a wheel of pain that we are on and it begets only more pain. We've got to get off the wheel 
That wheel is it's what the Buddhists would call samsara. The literal translation is going in circles. It's a cycle of suffering and dissatisfaction kept in motion by ignorance. But this is the really beautiful part of this. Ignorance and a lack of recognition of one's true nature. We're not seeing our own divinity and it's got us really messed up. When humans deny or turn a deaf ear to the divinity within, then what happens is it creates an opening, a gap between our soul and our awareness of our soul. And in that gap, deceptive forces will swoop in. And that darkness will come in with regulation and upsells. And it will happen from pharmaceuticals to oppressive religion to consumerism, which is a nouveau religion. Yeah, we've created a lot of space, huge opportunities to be manipulated and manipulative when we turn away from our souls, from joy, because that is the, that's the substance of being aligned with your soul, joy, when we turn away from deep self-care, from acceptance, from celebration of our humanness, then the darkness has a field day. And I think what's happening on the planet right now is like, it's a battle between the dark and the light. It's some crazy Harry Potter and he who shall not be named kind of shit that is playing out. And here's the thing. Darkness loves to be reviled. You know, bullies love it when you when you take the bait. The darkness feeds on fear and feeds on terror and feeds on panic. So we cannot hate on this virus. Don't take the bait. Yeah. You're going to wash your hands and you're going to shelter and you're going to be wise and smart and we're going to pay attention to science and all kinds of data and reports. And then you're going to heed those things from a place of free will and everything that you choose to do on behalf of your wellness and each other's wellness and mother nature's wellness is from a place of love, not fear. And that's how the darkness subsides because we are expanding our light of consciousness because everything we do, we do on behalf of love. Even the virus needs love. We'll get into that later. This is group therapy on a planetary scale. This crisis is serving us to surface all of the pain and the dysfunction that has been driving us for ages, for most of our individual lives. And there's actually nothing original about this. The, the, the content, the substance of this challenge, there's nothing new here. What's new is the rate of scale is unprecedented because our level of connectivity and access to each other is unprecedented. So every single human right now, whether they want it or not, is on an accelerated program for consciousness. Our habits are age-old habits of divisiveness and self-doubt and self-obsession have gone viral. Outer attainment has to give way to inner attunement. This is a massive, beautiful, truly epic call for reprioritization. Inner attunement first and foremost, always, every day now. And then healthy attainment. That's heart-centered living, and all good things always have and always will flow from there. 
Hey, hey, I'm going to jump in on this podcast to talk to you about how you can develop your own podcast. So my team and I are offering a virtual business retreat specifically on helping people launch podcasts, producing something that gets attention. So you were keen and you're highly capable and you could do this alone, but you shouldn't. This podcast that you're listening to with Love Danielle was number one in health and wellness on iTunes. It was our largest driver of traffic and engagement last year. Take some work, take some skill. You're going to jam with myself, our director of operations, and Kelly Wim, who is producing the podcast that you are listening to right this second. And you get to join in live and we will answer every question. It's a two-hour virtual business retreat with Team D on May 27th. Yeah? Go to daniellelaporte.com slash retreats. When I was in my 20s, I had the honor of learning about system thinking from a woman named Barbara Marks Hubbard. She's a futurist. She was amazing. She was a visionary of the highest degree. She was the first woman to uh, run for the U.S. vice president nomination. She was heiress to the Marx Brothers toy empire. She was a mother of five children, and she turned her entire life uh, into a ministry about unified consciousness. She was a creator for the foundation of conscious evolution, and oh my God, it was just so attractive to me. I, all I wanted to do was work for her, and she taught me how to see myself as a microcosm of a macrocosm, and she was one of my first entry points into learning more about Christ consciousness and wanting to be a conduit for that. And Barbara believed that our crisis, it's been going on for a long time, our crisis is a birth. And that the pain we're experiencing right now, to a greater degree in these times, is Christ consciousness signaling uh, to the human child to become a full, mature human. That the pain is an invitation for us to evolve into becoming a natural Christ, to, to grow into our full potential. I agree. I think the God force is showing up right now to help us evolve. And that all this pain is essentially divinity school. And that we are moving from being creatures to being true co-creators. And this is a cosmic imperative. And if we slow down enough, slow down enough, we will feel the impulse in our cells. It's the eternal pulse of creation, of the infinite. It's our chance to become aware of the infinite pulsing within us. Wow. I was born with a sense of urgency. And I know, <laughs> I know gazillions of us feel this. I know you know this feeling. And, you know, I could probably attribute a lot of my sense of urgency to like family of origin or past life wounds or themes that, you know, keep me dancing with lack of self-worth and all that other stuff I've dragged in from other lifetimes. But something going on right now about this sense of urgency that I've always felt. I think it's, it's in our DNA and it's a sacred kind of urgency and it is no longer... In the back seat, it's no longer inexplicable. It is required. So if you got that, and if you have been feeling like something has gone awry for humanity for like the last 2,000 years, you're right. We got off track because 
obviously, look at where we are. We need to leap from where we are, from this mess of, I mean, how long have wars been going on? How long have we been killing each other, slaughtering each other, and conflict and rabid consumption and broken systems and broken hearts and soil erosion and animal cruelty and immorality and political deception and on from this hellacious, because come on, this is nuts, this hell of a landscape into, as Charles Eisenstein puts it, the beautiful future that our hearts know is possible. It's an evolutionary leap, and we are qualified, and we are being called, and we have what it takes, and I think we want to make it, and I think we can and we will. But it's not about flight. There's nothing otherworldly about this. The leap that's required is more about applauding through our own shit. And that shit is compost for something magnificent that we have not experienced in this lifetime. It's about wading into an abyss, the abyss that we have long avoided. And what's in the abyss? What's in the darkness? Well, darkness, <laughs> stillness, stillness, which is really presence. This is about heading directly into life force, which embraces all of it as courage and fear. It's about going right into our fear, which is the gateway to love. Fear is a gateway to love. And each of us has to do this. Every one of us has been preparing to do this. Some of us are doing it. We're going inward. We're going deeper than we have ever gone before. And we are now doing it together. Before we go further, let's talk about from where each of us is standing. We need to look at the different experiences that we're having within this world health situation. Two categories, front lines and sheltering. Front lines, and there's a few layers within each of these. So front lines as a chosen profession, right? You're, you're out there because this is what you really signed up for. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And some of us are on the front lines out of necessity because we need to put food on the table. So we are risking our lives and working in grocery stores and delivering this, that, and the other because we got kids to feed. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then there's sheltering, front lines and sheltering. And there's a few different layers within the sheltering category. So a lot of us are sheltering with, I'll just call it simplicity. So we're solo-ish, we're safe-ish. It's really not that demanding in terms of resources, like we're good. And some of us are sheltering with complexity. We've got kids, we've got multiple people, we've got people that are coming and going in and out of our shelter, yeah? For most of us, most of us on the planet are not in material survival mode right now because we don't typically live in material survival mode. We have more than enough. We have the basics. And what this whole shit show is showing us is that too many of us have more than enough. And the irony that's emerging is that being able to socially isolate or physically isolate, that's my preferred term, physically isolate, is actually a privilege 
when there are millions of others who live alone with less than the basics. So that brings us to the third category, those without shelter, front lines, sheltering, and no shelter. The vulnerability of impoverished and at-risk communities is, oh, it's more glaring than ever. So we just need to be aware that for so many of us, sheltering for the most part is a privilege right now and always. And we need to recognize how messed up and out of balance that is. The fact is, I'm, I'm not taking away from the pain that every one of us is experiencing to some degree, but I am trying to emphasize the degrees here of pain. So the fact is, if you have shelter and you are able to get some food in, if you're just generally emotionally and mentally strong, and if you're not coping with constant physical anguish, then that means that you're actually doing way better than the vast amount of the humans on earth who live below the poverty line or who struggle with what's been labeled as mental illness or those who carry on every day with some kind of physical hardship. You know, I think a friend of mine used to work in in Haiti with midwives and they basically delivered babies with like some paper towels and some thread. And, you know, those of us in the so-called, so-called developed world are now experiencing shortages with personal protection equipment, et cetera, et cetera. But we've got to like pull our heads up just for a second when we can to realize that those kind of shortages are like of the day for many other societies. So There's a lot of room for gratitude and global awareness in this situation. There's so many different experiences that we're all having, whether we are frontline, sheltering, or without shelter. The opportunity for all of us is to go inward. But I would like to say, for those of us who are in survival mode, probably, maybe you're listening to this podcast right now, But if you're in extreme suffering and mental duress, I really think it's up to the rest of us who have our mental stability and shelter and groceries within reach. We're the ones that need to do the traversing of the inner landscapes right now and to use our privilege to take this opportunity to introspect and to clean up some karma and to make more inroads into inclusiveness and to just love on ourselves more deeply so that we can extend that love to other people. (sighs) How about some Thomas Merton? He was one of my favorite monks. That is totally totally sexy dude. He said, whether you teach or live in the cloister or nurse the sick, whether you are in religion or out of it, married or single, no matter who you are or what you are, you are called to the summit of perfection. You are called to a deep interior life, perhaps even to mystical prayer, and to pass the fruits of your contemplation onto others. And if you cannot do so in word, then do so by example. This is spiritual bothness that he's talking about. I think it's what's being demanded of all of us. This is non-duality boot camp. So it's possible to lean into the beautiful opportunity 
that all of this disruption brings. And you can do that. You can be enthusiastic and excited even, while at the same time being respectful and responsive to the hardship for everyone of the crisis. This bothness, being able to hold both of those experiences and perspectives, that is our maturing process, and that is our power. That's consciousness. You observe the pressure, and you let it bring out the best in you. You become the most caring and resilient and creative and sensitive and patient and beauty-adoring and faithful human you that you have ever been. And you use this as a window for the change that I know you have been craving in your own life, the change that we more evidently than ever need in all of our lives in the world. Some of us are going to be more scathed and impacted than others. Some of us are going to die. Some of us could lose loved ones. Some of us are going to have some financial tough times. And part of banding together is for those of us who have easier access to hope. You could be having it if you're sitting by yourself in the dark right now, but you could be just flowing with hope because you're designed that way, because you've been doing the work. Some of us have access to hope, and some of us have access to resources, and some of us are creative, but all of us have to go full throttle to activate bigger change. So no matter whether you're on the front lines or sheltering in place or, God bless you, if you are without shelter, this is a call to go deeper into the interior life, perhaps even into mystical prayer. May this passage gracefully lead us to one love. Okay, everybody. In honor of this planet-wide call to slow down, I'm going to work pause moments into each episode of this series. I'm going to interrupt us to take an intentional break. I'm calling these grace moments. And what we're doing here is we are entraining ourselves to slow down and listen in the midst of other things going on. So this will only take a minute, like actually literally one minute. There's three steps. Be still receive, respond, and obviously you can use this all the time throughout the day. So here we go. A moment for grace. Close your eyes. Breathe into your heart center. Be still. Now receive the energy that is pulsing in your heart space. That awareness of higher love and presence. And what's the guidance from your heart? And now how can you respond? Respond to that heart energy with a deeper breath, with a nourishing thought, with gratitude. Take a deep breath. Open your eyes. And we're back. About three years ago, my body was super hammered. I had Epstein-Barr virus, which then turned into mono, which stirred up this pre-existing bronchial inflammation that I've had, I had for many years. And then I gained a bunch of pounds and I sweat all the time. It was awesome. And I woke up through the night and 
I could barely walk up the stairs. It was, it was hell, a version of it. And I was blessed to find this really eccentric, gifted naturopath. She's, she's the best kind of nuts. And I was on a, oh God, so many supplements. And, you know, we, we patched together this really extensive healing regime. I did these detoxes and it went on and on and it was all required and I'm grateful for all of it. And when I began the healing protocols, Patty, my healer, my wild healer lady, she made it very clear to me. She said, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, so while you're home feeling like total shit, let's just deal with everything that we can all at once. And you're going to hate me and then you're going to thank me. And that's what we did. So just, I, I could, didn't think I could get sicker. And she gave me something else. She said, this is going to make you feel sicker, but this is good. And I coughed up stuff and my bones ached and I slept and I sweat some more. And my body remembered how to heal. And I kept cleansing. And the cleansing was strengthening in addition to being cleansing. And I was allowing myself for the first time ever to put my full focus on my healing. I just stopped and I took care of everything. And I went down and I went down to my cells and I took care of some business. And it taught me a lot about just stopping letting it all fall apart, taking care of everything at once, just while you're feeling shitty, just stay down there and see what else you can heal. You know, I think we've got to let this all fall apart so that we can rise stronger, go Phoenix style. This, this is not about innovation. You know, the, as I've said before, the content of this challenge is not new. And so the solutions aren't new to this. The response to this doesn't have to be grandiose. It's not about those big, shiny, glamorous ambitions to like colonize Mars for human life. That's oh, ridic so ridiculous. It's not up there with trying to develop artificial intelligence. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with artificial intelligence? There is nothing here that we need to conquer. We just need to revive ancient wisdom and take better care of what we have ourselves. It's about resiliency, and that's old-fashioned, and fortitude, and courage, uh, the likes of which may seem new to a lot of us. But those energies, the resiliency and fortitude, that's in our DNA. We have this. We've had it through lifetime. So it's not something new that we have to stumble upon. It's just something that we can discover through reflection, meditation, Spaces of silent intimacy with the aspects of ourselves. And this is why we have to befriend the shadow and all of her or his or their woundedness. What we're doing by being still is we're, we're tilling the soil of our subconscious mind. And when we do that, it means we can harness all of our power. We're embodying all of us. We're going into the shadow. Hey, get to unearth my potential that's been buried for so long. It's going to hurt getting it. Oh, it's so beautiful when I find it. We know what to do. The human spirit knows how to do intimacy. The heart is naturally inclusive. We know what joy feels like. You only need to taste it once and you will never forget it. Might have been a while, but it's in there. 
we know how morality performs. We've just gotten very off track. But the real truth, truth with a capital T, it's steady and it's foundational and it's waiting for us. The truth is waiting for us, just like your mother waits for you. Think of all the different ways that (laughs) your mom (laughs) would wait for you. She waits for you to come home when you pass curfew, when you're prodigal. She waits for you when you've lost your way. She's at home waiting for you when you're hungry. She's waiting for you when it's time to celebrate. The Divine Mother is waiting on us to come home. And now she's calling us very loudly and very clearly to come back to the promised land. It's the world that every great mystic has spoken of. It's the realization of Christ consciousness, of unity. It's a place where we no longer abandon our own selves, where we no longer abandon each other. We no longer abandon the divine. It's home. Hey, hey, while you're here, remember that there is a book, an ebook, that this podcast is based on. I actually started the podcast and it turned into a book. I never stopped talking and I never stopped writing. And I designed the book, Grace for Impact, to help you go deeper, like way deeper, and let go, really let go, and emerge, emerge from this opportunity, more you and more new, the best kind of new. There's a lot of beautiful reflective writing practices and complete prayers, meditations, and video content all about healing immune systems, breathing, courage, and the book, the digital book is pay what you wish for it. So yeah, just go get it, pay what you can, because love is that easy. DanielaPort.com slash grace. We're in a very dark part of the journey forward. There's good news that there's only one way forward. Forget about waiting this out and getting back to normal. Please, please, please. We need to go through this. We need to go directly into the darkness, into the stillness that we have delayed, the inertia we created, the anxiety beneath the surface, the suffering that is now in our own backyard, that fear of uncertainty. mm, Let's deal with it. The terror of being annihilated. It's in there. Let's get on it. We have to go into the shadow of the subconscious. We owe it to the mother, the divine mother, the bestower of life, the sustainer of life for all sentient beings. The divine mother's body manifests as the earth, she who is everywhere, omnipresent, eternally generating life, she who embodies love. And on behalf of love, she will wreak destruction. This is Kali, the mother, Durga, the mother, the Amazon forest, the mother, a tsunami, a plague, the mother, a miracle, the work of the mother. We are at the end of an era because the mother has drawn a line in the sand. It's prophetic times. Many mystics have made this call. I have a dear friend who's an energy healer, and this is how she puts it. Humanity owes itself 
the diligent task of grace and devotion to respect the mother, the space from where life is birthed, to return to the darkness and sit in the void, to unabashedly forgive and be forgiven. That's intense. If only we were still enough to pay some respect to her, to the mother in our own hearts, in our marrow, to the mother in our neighbors, near and far. She is yelling, but I don't think that this is a punishment, but this is a wake-up call. It's really important how we view this in terms of a lesson, quote-unquote lesson. So I've never believed in a punishing God force, never have, never will. I'm totally down with how Eckhart defines suffering. He says, challenges are for intensifying your presence, not for suffering. Challenges are here to intensify your presence. It's not about making us suffer. That perspective actually gave me a lot of comfort in the darkest periods of my life, which you're going to be hearing all about as we go through this journey together. I was responsible enough, awake enough to see how I had brought pain upon myself through habits and thought forms and all that. But keeping the perspective that the suffering I was experiencing was to bring me more to my life, to have me access more of my tools, my strength, my vitality, my beauty, you know, my presence. Believing that helped me see all of the shit I had created for myself with so much more compassion. And that compassion, that spaciousness around my suffering helped me do the next right thing for myself. I believe that everything, everything is of God, from God, because of God. The Supreme God, Divine Father, Divine Mother, that, that triplicity. So God is working, the Mother is working through all of these circumstances. And at the same time, as I said before, I think we're in some tension here with light and dark forces, so that when we deny our connection to infinity, to source, that creates a gap for more density to just pile up, for dark forces to have a field day on our neglected territory. When we are not devoted, shit gets messy, you know? Uh, when we're not aligned with the higher vibrations of creation, then what happens? We're making ourselves more vulnerable for lower energies to move in. And it should be pretty clear by now, we have gotten out of alignment with higher principles. We know this. We know we have been neglecting Mother Earth for centuries. We know it's catching up with us in the form of climate change. Hey, we know that we have created a crisis of morality and ethics and politics. It's just hooped. It goes on and on. We know this. And the Mother, the Divine, is saying, clean up your mess. Just like any mother. I love you but clean up your mess. I'll keep feeding you for the time being, but clean up your mess. And you need to do this. You need to clean up your mess. I've asked you a hundred times. I love you. I've given you countless breaks. I love you. And if you get in there and you deal with all the darkness and the buildup and the psychic junk that you've been leaving around the house, and while you're at it, you clean up the rivers and the soil, 
You're going to be the rock star that I know you are. I love you. So go on. Get in there. Looks like shit, but it's really compost. I love you. You're about to find out that you are paradise itself. Go on. Go clean it up. You're about to find out that you can grow fields of light. But you've got to clean up this mess. And I'm done asking quietly. So hopefully, because I love you, I really hope this pandemic gets your attention. I am rooting for you. I love you. So clean up your mess. Yeah? (laughs) I think that the higher beings are actually really stoked for us right now. They are simultaneously, as they've been doing for eternity, tending to our suffering. And they're kind of happy that it's finally fucking come to this. It's like, you know, we've all had that friend who, she's a train wreck. And it's been coming. You could see it coming for a while. Just long-term denial. Wasn't talking about it. Wasn't dealing with it. And life gets out of control. It's a mess. The relationship falls apart. The whatever. It just, it's out. It's all out. The, The unraveling has commenced. And you're there and you're loving them and you have no judgment. And you're so quietly excited that it's finally fallen apart so he, she, they can finally see what they're made of. You're rooting for the detox and you are holding them through it and you are guiding them through it, but you're happy it's happening. Yeah. I think that's how the angels feel right now about the suffering that we are going through. Should we talk a little more about the divine Mother Earth energy? Say yes, because I want to talk about it. What I've been taught is that the energies of the divine feminine, the mother, that kundalini shakti, that energy is what activates all of the cleansing and purifying that's necessary to any system. That can be your own system, your bodily system, your relationship with your soul, and the ecological system. So that's from you know your own cleansing breath to forests burning down, which is tragic, and it's a form of cleansing. Uh, fire purifies. So The mother purifies, and it is often not easy, but it is always leading us to expanded consciousness. The pain always gets us somewhere brighter, deeper, higher. And cleansing periods are destabilizing, and there's a lot of pain that's on the surface, but the bliss, the expansion, the clarity, it always sets in. It's inevitable if the cleansing occurs. If it's thorough enough, if the detox really works, health is on the other side. You just have to be with the discomfort of the process. Be with it so the process can be full and deep and pervasive. Yeah? There's a refinement process at work, and it will lead us to so much beauty if we let it, if we dive in. Okay, I'm calling on some Carl Jung now, one of my favorites. I love Carl because. lots of reasons, but he laid the human heart and the psyche at the feet of the mother, of the divine feminine. Here's what he advised. The darkness is your mother. She behooves reverence since the mother is dangerous. She has power over you since she gave birth to you. Honor the darkness as the light 
and you will illumine your darkness. Honor the darkness as the light. Approach this as an opening. Approach this pain as a portal. This is an entry point, and you will illumine your darkness. You will become the way and the light. That's Christ consciousness. We are becoming the way and the light. This awakening has been prophesized and politicized. This is a revolution of inner resolution. May this passage gracefully lead us to one love. Oh, I have an appointment with the divine. (laughs) I'm clear. I need to die some. I need to let go and I need to forgive more and to trust more. And the cool thing about where I'm at in this global situation is that I feel like this recalibration that I need to do on a personal level, this change, it finally feels like an invitation instead of an order. I don't feel guilted by like, some cosmic new age council. I actually don't even feel pressured into making the changes, even though I feel like I'm sitting in a fucking pressure cooker. This time I feel very present and I finally feel right on time. I feel like everything before this was training for this. I can clearly see a before and after in my life now. Already so much profound stuff to be grateful for. My own dark night of the soul, which I will be unpacking for you in some detail, it's coming in really handy right now. My time in Washington, D.C., running a think tank for future scenario planning and consulting to the Pentagon on massive scale change, yeah, it's kind of handy right now. Even my mild obsession with post-apocalyptic movies, coming in so handy. I'm feeling really excited about dying. Uh... To the old, yeah. I've been thinking about all layers of death, actually, that I could die. And I don't mean 50 years from now. I mean in this next passage. And am I okay with that? Mm, I'm more okay with it than I have ever been. And that feels like a kind of victory that I am more able to just trust God's will. Yeah, thy will be done. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little more flexy about the death thing. And when I open myself up to consider that and to be more at ease with dying, I also root more deeply into my really strong desire to live. I'm more willing to die than ever, and I want to be here more than ever. I feel more alive than ever. A little bit cooped up, but doing it out of choice on behalf of love. More vital and vibrant. Yeah, you know, I even said to my kid the other night that, oh, I'm not sure how I'll get through this. Well, first of all, I thought about this conversation with my kid before I had this conversation with my kid. He's 16 and he's incredible. And what I became more aware of, more okay with, 
personally, before I went and talked to him about this, was that, you know, the last thing I want for my child is to live without me. At least in the near future, you know. Actually, for the rest of my old age life. But that it is not for me to say or to even try and decipher what the lessons are for him and his soul in this lifetime. Maybe, you know, losing me would be the dark night of his soul that catapulted him into higher levels of consciousness and God connection. I don't know. Uh, so I got clear on that before I chatted with my kid and said, look, we're just going to talk about this once. We did this over apple cobbler. Uh, we've been making a lot of apple cobbler lately. Uh, we're going to talk about this once and only once, but let's just have the full discussion here. Um, you know, I have a pre-existing history of lung situation and I don't plan on getting this. I don't want this to happen and I I don't plan on you getting it and may we be well and may everybody in our locality be well, may all be well. But if this got me, A, you stay in the house by yourself because you're not going to be able to come to see me in the hospital and you'll be fine. And if you have to live life without me, you're still going to be fine. You'll still flow with love and it's going to suck. And somehow this will get you closer to God and I will never, ever, ever for eternity be leaving you. Oh, and he was like, you're not going to die. I got it. <laughs> what a beautiful conversation to have. I mean, this is one of the many gifts that this world health situation is already flowing out to many of us, deeper, truer conversations that are opening us up to love, that are opening our hearts, and love is just flowing out everywhere, yeah. But to wrap up the death thing, as I said, I want to live more than ever. And do I think it's God's call for me to split now? No. Do I want to be and plan to be here for the duration, meaning until I, you know, I plan, I'm going for like 111 and I just want to sit under a tree and peace out. But yeah, I'm, I'm doubling down on life. So if it's not obvious, I'm someone who prays. <laughs> and if you've been hanging out with me for a while, you know that I, I'm pro on the meditation. And when this world health situation started becoming more evident and it was clear I needed to make some changes in my lifestyle and just, you know, tuck in for a little while, it actually became harder for me to, I got distracted from my daily practice and my prayer and all my centering and everything. I got back on track and I feel more called to it than ever. Just really spent hours just tuning in. But it had occurred to me that I had not actually done the work of sitting my ass down and just asking God, universal intelligence, like, what's up with all of this? So I sat still and asked myself and my higher self and spirit, what's up? So have you done that? Have you stopped and looked within or turned to the God of your understanding? And just spent time in that question to ask, what's going on here? So that's what I've been doing. I do it on a daily basis right now. In addition to online cooking classes and Sunday dance parties on Zoom 
and staying up late with Quest Love. <laughs> it's been doing Prince and the Sade marathons. Thank you, Quest. I've been praying and I've been meditating in a different way. I'm journaling more than usual. Yeah, so if I may, you've made it this far with me. Can I give you an assignment? It's a two-part assignment. It's a three-part assignment, actually. Part one, if you haven't already done so, do this a few times a week. Have a conversation today with the God of your understanding and ask, what's happening and why is this happening? And just listen. Okay, part two. This is a, a beautiful gift from A Course in Miracles. It's four questions you can ask yourself every morning. Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? I just memorize this by go, do, say, whom. And the mother right now may tell you to not go anywhere. <laughs> uh, the answer is, let me see if I can remember what the, my answer was this morning. I will often hear guidance like, go deeper into the conversation, go deeper into sadness, go deeper into joy, yeah? All right, in part three, what does it look like for you right now to serve with joy? There's a double entendre in that, my favorite double entendre. That joy is a way of being of service, no matter what. And that you serve with that joy. And then whatever your clear, straight shot to service is, that you do it joyfully. Okay, my loves. Keep sticking around. I'm glad you're here. The next chapter, we go into sacred reprioritization. And I'm going to get you to admit to your very deep, profound longing to slow down. There's only one way forward. Only one way. And there are a hundred ways to go backwards, all of which we are well-versed in. But genuine progress, the dawning of the light of consciousness into action, it is going to require us to go head-on into the darkness. This is our appointment with the divine. Grace for impact. May this passage gracefully lead us to one love. May this passage gracefully lead us to one love. May this passage gracefully lead us to one love. All right, loves, you know where to find me, daniellelaporte.com, and all social media everywhere, ever. Questions and love notes can be sent to support at daniellelaporte.com. This podcast is skillfully produced by Kelly Winham. You can find her at Face for Radio. That's face hyphen for the number hyphen radio.com. And I give all thanks to Team D for helping me do what I do. I love you. And I love you too.